Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes, maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell and Tiffany is away today, but do not despair because we have a guest and I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I am Rebecca West. And what is it that you do? I am a Seattle-based interior designer and newly published author of the book Happy Starts at Home. And the reason I wanted to talk to you was because of this idea of home, which for expats is a little squishy, particularly when it comes to surrounding yourself with things that are familiar. When I lived in Rome, I rented an apartment from a woman that was already decorated, and she did not have my decorating style whatsoever. I mean, granted, I picked the apartment. I did look at a bunch of them and tried to pick one that fit sort of, but there were pictures of Audrey Hepburn on the wall, really weird, funky 70s art that I would never ever choose in a thousand years and the almost the entire interior was orange which is bold (laughs) right but it did have a few antique pieces in it which appealed to me and so it had something going on but was it anything representative of me no so I figured maybe I'd bring you in to talk about how you can make a place a home if it's not your home so where should we begin Maybe I should ask you this. You've lived abroad a lot. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? I can do that. Let's see. Abroad has a couple of different chapters for me. One is that as a child, I I grew up in the Army, so I had my time away as a child as an Army brat. We lived in Germany and traveled all over Europe. And then I had my own time abroad in the Peace Corps. I lived in Nicaragua. And then I also count South Dakota, which is not technically abroad, but it felt like it culturally. (laughs) So those are the main times, and then I also got to spend some time in Tahiti when my mother was living on her boat, traveling in the South Pacific, and I got to spend some time abroad then too, but it was very brief. What's the longest you've been away? Nine months. That was Nicaragua. Where were you living when you were in Nicaragua? I was in Samoto Madriz, and it was up in the mountains, tiny, tiny little rural town. took me, I think, five hours of busing to get back to the capital, Managua, when I needed to go back. In what kind of place? So when I first started, they always place volunteers with a family, you know, so you can get involved in the community, know who you're living with. For me, that was not going to work. I can't. I'm an only child. And well, I have brothers, but they're all stepbrothers. So most of my childhood was onlyness. I'm certainly the only girl. So I need my own space. And so I ended up choosing my own home and rented it in the village. And they thought that was the weirdest thing because I was, you know, one person living in a space instead of six people living in a space. Weirdness aside, you're like, this is me. So there you go. What was, was the home? Did it feel like home? In a way, I mean, every time I've lived anywhere, even in my dorm room, I've put my thumbprint on my space. So, and it can be in little things, but you know, in Nicaragua, I had my mosquito net and it was all tucked into my cute little duvet around my bed. And so there weren't as many belongings, but the belongings I had there did feel like me. Like one of my favorite things was this, actually it was sent in a care package, but it was a really, really fuzzy blanket. You know, textures m- really mean a lot to me. So those things made it feel like my home, even if it always felt like a temporary home. Where do you begin? Like if we're gonna give people advice, let's say they're looking around wherever they are right now and thinking there is nothing here that is me. 
except for that pile of papers that I need to deal with or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Where would you even begin? It depends so much on the circumstances, of course, you know, how much control you have over your space. One of my expat friends had a space that she couldn't paint or anything, but she really needed to bring in some color. So she just bought some really, really bright curtains. She said they were bright orange. So that's a really easy way to do it is through textiles. And so many places in the world actually make incredible textiles. So that's a really easy way to grab some color and throw it over the ugly grandma sofa, you know, or over the windows, over the table, and just really bring in a spark of color. And that doesn't mean orange. Sometimes it's a beautiful neutral gray, you know. (laughs) It's a matter of it reflecting who you are and what needs to change in the space to make you happier that seems like a texture thing you could bring that home with you you could pack up curtains and take them along or just leave them behind but if you don't want to buy a lot of different things because a lot of people are always on the move how do you balance what's going to be important and what's not oh i have two answers to that first is people often underestimate how long they're going to be in a space anyway. So renters do this a lot. They're like, oh, I'm just renting. I'm not going to really change the space. But then they end up renting for seven years. Time flies. And so the sooner you can put your fingerprint on a place and make it feel like home, the better those months or years or even days are going to feel. Even in a hotel room, a bouquet of flowers can really impact your experience in that space. So don't let time be an excuse is the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, You can commit however deeply you want to, you know, like around in the States, Craigslist makes things really easy. You can buy everything, everything. You can fully furnish a house and then sell it again in a week. So again, even owning big things doesn't have to be an excuse for not making a space feel like your own. I wouldn't buy all new stuff because that's just going to be a waste of money, but you can be creative. And I'd say, ask yourself if it's really true when you're coming up with an excuse for why you're not making it your own home. Is that a problem that you encounter as an interior designer that people just put off making it a house? Oh my gosh, yeah. Obviously my rental clients do it all the time and they find, when they finally call me, it's usually five or seven years in, they're going, okay, I'm still here. I don't want to live like I'm in college anymore. But even with my homeowners, a lot of times it's just fear or indecisiveness. They have a piece of art, but it sits on the floor for five years because they just don't know where to hang it. It's better to just hang it quote unquote wrong than to keep thinking, oh, I should get to that. Those little like to-dos, those little stresses, they wear at you. And who needs that? There's plenty of other places to put that kind of energy. Just just put a hole in the wall. What's it going to hurt? True. Although if it's a rental. (laughs) Well, put a small hole in the wall, you know. (laughs) Even in rentals, you got to make it your own. I mean, we only go through this life one time. So if your space impacts you, I mean, my space really impacts me. I'm very sensitive to it. A lot of people are like that. You have to do what's necessary to make it support you because you wake up to that space every single day and you go to sleep to it every single day. It matters. What have you noticed about people's personal taste in the years that you've been doing this? Well, the first thing I notice is that whenever I walk into somebody's home, they apologize for their home, which... (laughs) It kind of breaks my heart. I'm like, it's your home. Who cares what it looks like as long as you like it? So if you're kind of apologizing to yourself, fine. But if you're apologizing to me, that's just silly. But I've noticed that it's just all over the board. And that's one of the reasons why when people say, you know, they they ask me to do a paint color consultation with them. And they'll say, I want blue walls. I'm like, great. What do you mean by blue? Right? Because everybody's different. Some people mean like 80s cobalt blue. And some people mean like barely there, sky, mountain, air. I'm not really sure it's blue, blue. And so having a visual language is obviously really important. So taste 
it's so arbitrary. You might love the current trends. You might hate the current trends. Really, they don't matter. What matters is whether or not you like your home. One of the things when we were emailing back and forth about doing this interview that you mentioned was that sometimes, particularly if you're an expat, if you're surrounding yourself with a bunch of pictures from home, that that can actually be a problem. Yeah, so there was this study. Don't ask me to quote the study, but I can find it if I needed to. Um, It was a study of college students. And they were looking at what was an indicator of if people were going to make it all the way to graduation or not. And they found that the college students who like totally plastered their walls with things, mementos from high school and graduating earlier in home, actually had a lower rate of graduating than the people who plastered their walls with mementos of things that were happening now and things that were indicative of their future and their future goals. And so while it's really important to have things that are touchstones to who you are, You also want to make sure that the things you're bringing into your space are about what you're becoming and where you're going, because otherwise it can kind of drag you down and depress you and make you feel like the thing you're trying to do is defeating you or it's not going to work. Because being an expat's really hard or taking on a new career is really hard. All these things that are the new chapter of your life, it's uncomfortable. You don't know how to do it. That's why it's new. And so if you hold on too tightly to the past and also to the visual things in your life, it can really keep you from succeeding. See, you would never think that. See, my life will be changed. I have to go through and like pull everything down. No, but I won't apologize if you ever come over, I promise. What about other little things? You mentioned textiles, but what are other little tiny easy things that can really change what a house feels like? A lot of it's the other senses. So taste and smell and sight and feel, those they all matter. So even a simple candle can really evoke that feeling of being home or just the right piece of music can really take you to another place when you're feeling like you need to escape a little bit or a wind chime, those kinds of things. Sounds of home, the smells of home are can be just as important and are actually more transportable. You know, a little candle tucked into your bag can be harder than a whole blanket. You say that you don't want to walk into a person's house and judge, <laughs> but, but one of the things that I experienced when I was an expat was how strange it is because most of my friends were also expats. And with the exception of Tiffany, who had been in Rome for 10 years, and so her apartment is very much what her and her husband have built from the ground up, everybody else I knew lived in a place that they had not put together. There was something strange about not being able to interpret anything about a person from where they are living. And you kind of just sort of do because they're in that space, but it's not really them. It's somebody else. I mean, you can tell stuff about people by walking in their homes, can't you? Absolutely. When people ask me, well, what kind of color should I do in this room? I'm answering that based on everything that I just saw in the rest of the house. The hardest jobs for me are when I go into a brand new house that they just bought and there's not anything in it there's not a lick of furniture there's no color and I'm like well who are you you know what are we trying to create but I think one of the joys of being an expat is that in some ways you get to try on a whole new personality and so part of it is that you are maybe for a while being somebody that you might not normally be you might have an environment that you would never have living in the United States and that can be some of the fun of choosing a really crazily decorated apartment And when I travel, we always do Airbnb and VRBO. We like finding these really funky places. And they're awesome. I absolutely adore being in them. But I wouldn't have them as my long-term home here in the States. That's part of the fun. So I don't think that having a space that feels really weird, if you were to identify it as you or not you, 
for an expat period of time is that uncommon and there might be some of that reason there too that you're trying on something new do you get a sense or do you have any idea where people get their aesthetic from an antique armoire might appeal to me <laughs> whereas other people would think in fact the romans would think good grief get rid of that old <laughs> ugly thing and get something modern in here that i have never been asked that question so that that's a fascinating question my answer would be i think it relates to a little bit of obviously who how we grew up cuz people will either mirror their parents' habits or go the exact opposite of their parents' habits. So they might have a real cluttery, layered household that they grew up in and then really need something super minimalist and stark and bare in response or vice versa. That's their version of home and so they crave that. There's also the sentimentality of wanting to have their family around you. So like that antique chest evokes that feeling of being surrounded by people that you love. Even if you don't know those people, you assign stories to them. So there are personalities of people that want that around them and others who don't need the noise. You know, they would consider that noise. And they're like, that's just too many people in my living room if you have too many antique things. And then there's also the emotional aspect of gathering things because it feels safe when you're surrounded by stuff. It's much less safe feeling to be without belongings. You take it to the extreme. Hoarding, for example, is usually a response of safety, needing to feel like, you're taken care of or protected by a wall. Really interesting. So can we look at some of the things around your house oh, and you sure. can tell me uh, why you would have picked that out? <laughs> Pick up a couple objects in this room. By the way, we're sitting in her house right now. Yes. Uh, okay, well, I'm gonna, just sitting right here, I can see four creatures, no less than four creatures. I got the live cat, Murray. I've got a leather toad. I've got an owl pillow and I've got a unicorn skull. And so, I mean, the live cat's kind of an obvious one. I love cats. Who doesn't love cats? Except for non-cat lovers. Cats are awesome. The leather toad was a souvenir that my mother had gotten actually in the South Pacific Islands. So when she was traveling, somebody made that. I mean, it's, and by the way, this thing is like 18 inches wide. It's a big, this is a big toad. Um, so he sits on top of my radio. So I, my mother was done with him because it's okay to be done with souvenirs after a period of time. People sometimes need permission to let go. My mom was done with the toad, but I still thought it was awesome. So I inherited the toad. And then the owl pillow was a gift from my mom. I love tactile things. So we were out shopping one day and we don't get to see each other very often. We were at Pier 1, saw what I call Owly the pillow. He's amazing. He brings me joy. The bottoms of his feet have this really cool pattern. His butt has beans in it, so he just feels cool to hug. I don't know. He's awesome. And then the unicorn skull is a pottery piece that I got at the Urban Craft Uprising two years ago, and it was my first real piece of art. It marks when I was able to just drop money without having to think too hard about it because I'd been successful enough as an entrepreneur. So each of these things I'd say tell stories. I'd say almost everything in my living room tells a story of something that I want to remember or that's comfortable to sit on because obviously you have to have furniture too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that says something about you is that you like to build stories into your home. I do. I, yeah. So when you think about themes, or not themes, but like trends, I love trends. Like the whole mid-century thing totally is awesome. So that often is what the the baseline of a room will be for me in terms of color or shapes, but the things that make it your own room are the things that make you smile and that somebody else might look at and go, well, that's a weird unicorn skull and who cares? 
Do you feel judged when people come here based on your job? Where everyone says, okay, let's see how an interior designer lives. Well, there is a part of me that's going, all right, I know anybody who comes over here is going to be curious about what my home looks like. I mean, that's kind of a given. It's sort of like you'd wonder what a fashion stylist's closet would look like. But I do have to say that my husband and I have both been really intentional as we put this house together. I mean, we had our wedding here. We landscaped the whole backyard just to have our wedding here because we knew that we wanted to have our home be the place where our life happened. So because I have been really intentional about it, and that's what my book is about too. It's about figuring out the goals you have for your life and then shaping your home to support those goals. We've done that work, and so I'm pretty darn confident when people come over. I also happen to be a pretty tidy person, so I'm never like, oh my God, company's coming. Even my dirtiest is pretty tidy, so that helps. <laughs> Thanks to my parents for that one. They made pretty good habits. Yeah, no kidding. That, that is a good one to have. One thing we were talking about before we got started is there is this sort of gypsy-esque expat, the type of person that moves around a lot, moves quickly, maybe has shed everything, and their possessions are what they wear. Do you have any advice for those people? keep doing it is my main advice because the thing is there's no requirement to have stuff the only requirement is to be happy in the situation that you're in so there's an incredible freedom in not owning anything it's exhilarating and it can be very terrifying so for the people that are able to live free of stuff truly free all power to them go with it if they feel a sense of loss or loneliness then find some small things that can be touchstones and carry them with them. And those can be pieces of clothing. I mean, that is a totally valid thing. Carry a wonderful scarf that reminds you of home and is as fuzzy as my blanket is, you know. But I would not tell anybody that they own too little stuff unless they, in their heart, know that they're running away and they should probably put some roots down. That's a different thing. That must be why so many people travel with a stuffed animal of some kind. I would say that's probably exactly it. I mean, there's just something, go back to your childhood. You had your favorite teddy bear. There's something about the security and saying, I don't have any idea what's going on except for I can put my hand on this object and I'm okay because this is familiar. Why does not having stuff make us feel unsafe? Have you looked into that? I think that's an evolutionary thing. I mean, shelter, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, Having food, having enough food that we're not going to starve, that we're not always going, where the heck is my next meal going to come from? That's your basic level. Having shelter. So all of these things, obviously, we've taken it to a crazy level when we're like, oh, I need this side table. Who really needs a side table? Let's be honest. But each of those things, it creates a feeling of security because it says, I am that much further away from disaster. Psychological fascinating i'm gonna switch tacks here and ask you the question is there anything in this room right now that you really don't like anymore i am very active in my space but i will say this i'm married and so i do share this space with my husband there are things that i would do differently if it wasn't our home so there is a difference between my home his home and our home the home that i had before this which was actually a different building was much more feminine was a lot of more pastels and soft colors this is much more anchored and grounded, lots of navies and oranges. And that was definitely a choice of ways to make it our home. Um, Also, I have much less destructible furniture because I'm married to a contractor who has a pug. I wouldn't necessarily have a leather, brown leather sofa, but I do because I know that I don't have to worry about it. If it was my home, I would still have a velvet aqua 
turquoise sofa, sofa, which is what I had in my last home. So it's not that I don't like the things in, that are in the house, but it is a nod to my relationship as opposed to it being just my home. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Do you encounter people that you work with where they are having a clash of what they prefer? Oh, definitely. Yeah, and I see it play out in two different ways. One, my favorite way is when they call me in and they're like, we really are trying to make, like one of my favorite couples was, he was masculine, Asian aesthetic, steel, glass, crazy minimalist. She was Pottery Barn. These two things are not the same thing. So I love it when they recognize that they're not on the same page, but they want to be. And so we created a space that worked for them. But usually what happens, unfortunately, is that one of them gets steamrolled and it's usually the guy. You walk into a lot of houses and you really wouldn't know that the guy lived there, maybe until you got to the basement in one corner where his man cave is. And that breaks my heart a little bit because, you know, you are sharing a space and both people should feel like it's home when they get home. Mm -hmm. Is there any other words of wisdom that you would have to pass on? You know so many layers of this that I don't know. I would love to have you come to my house and see what you think. That can be arranged. (laughs) Oh gosh, pearls of wisdom. No, it's, it's really wrapped up in everything I've already said. You know, you've got to figure out if your home is working for you, if it's supporting your goals instead of sabotaging your goals. And you can do that in reverse. Just think, okay, what's my goal this year? I want to, I want to sleep better. Great, let's talk about your bedroom. Is it controlling the sounds in your life so that the traffic stays outside instead of inside? Is it controlling the light? Is the heat at the right level? Is there laundry in your bedroom that shouldn't be there? Are the kids' toys the first thing that you see when they wake up in the morning? You know, open your eyes fresh to your space, whatever space that is, and whether it's expat or home. And then if it's not working, change it. And, and, and don't be afraid to change it wrong. Just change it. There is no wrong. And if you don't like the first change, change it again. There's no design police, despite what the magazines might tell you. (laughs) One thing that's interesting about this year, I've noticed since getting back, and maybe this has been going on for a while, and I just noticed it because I'm just back, but it seems like the most popular books and what everybody's trying to do is trying to get rid of stuff. One of the big things was, what was that book? Um, The one where you're supposed to walk through your house and ask yourself if you love everything. Marie Kondo's, yeah. So you got Marie Kondo's book and you've also got Francine Jay's book. So that's The Joy of Less is Francine Jay and The Japanese Art of Tidying Up is Marie Kondo. And yeah, so there's this trend towards simplicity. And you also notice that The Color of the Year by um, everybody, Sharon Williams and Benjamin Moore, they all did white this year. And I strongly believe that that's because we are living in a time when people are scared and they're overwhelmed. You know, the media is all fear, terrorism and fear economy and everything is like, oh my gosh, the world's falling. A natural response to that is to try and clear out some of that noise. And so since you don't really have as much control over the noise of the media, although I will just say this, you can turn off the TV, you are allowed to. But assuming you don't, one of the places you do have control is your space. You can get some of the noise out of your space and the noise is clutter. And the noise is things that are left over from old relationships and things that were given to you by your great aunt that you never really wanted and things that your sister thinks you should keep. That's all noise. And so that craving for simplicity, the craving for happiness, that's a response to, I think, what's happening geopolitically. And it's the one sphere that we really can influence is our home. But how do you get rid of those things that your sister really wants you to keep? Or those fair family heirlooms that you didn't want? 
Yeah, you've just got to give yourself permission. So first, if your sister's around, you say, hey, it seems like you really want this. When can I bring it over? You just put boundaries up and you say, I don't want to keep this anymore. It's not doing anything for me. You've got till April to come get it. And then I'm going to give it to somebody who will appreciate it. Because that's the thing is, holding on to these things is actually kind of selfish. Somebody out there would probably really love to have the rocking chair or whatever it is. So holding on to it, especially when you don't even like it, is kind of selfish and mean to yourself. So it's just giving yourself permission, being honest with yourself and being willing to be honest with the people in your lives. And know that I'm sure they're very well-meaning and thinking that, yes, you should have this whole set of china, but it's not their home. It's yours. Well, we should leave it there because that is fine <laughs> advice for the, all of you who have already shed all of your possessions and are looking to just bring a few things in. Pick up a bouquet of flowers this afternoon, right? There you go. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we'll leave it there. This is The Bittersweet Life. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Katie. What's the name of your book in case anyone wants to get it? It's called Happy Starts at Home and it is available on Amazon. All right. Worldwide, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany will be back next week. Thanks for being with me. Bye. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.